Hello everyone and welcome back to the next episode of My Sister Made Me View It Miscellaneous, currently covering our flag means death. Thank you to everyone who messaged us about the first episode last week. We really appreciate you. We know this is a new feed. It's like just getting up off the ground. So if you like listening to Emily and I talk, if you could share this feed with your other Our Flag Means Death obsessed friends, uh, we'd really appreciate it. Or if you have any buddies who are unspoiled and would like a really cool podcast to watch along with, well, we're here for them too. But now grab a drink, grab a snack, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of My Sister Made Me View It. Take it away, theme song. everyone welcome back to my sister made me view it miscellaneous currently covering our flag means death Woo! season one episode two a damned man dun, dun, uh emily welcome back to the show Thank did you. you enjoy yourself i did this is wonderful this is so so mm-hmm. wonderful oh i'm so glad so in this episode the crew of the revenge takes a vacation and we meet the crewmates of one Mr. Blackbeard. I'm so sorry, Captain Blackbeard. Yeah, get it right. So, Emily, what were your general impressions on this episode? The first one is still my favorite. I just mm-hmm. am so in love with that. And I I don't expect, not that I don't expect to like anything more than that one, but the first one was just so good. And I really liked this one as well because now we're starting, I know there's only 10 episodes, but now we're kind of starting to get into the meat of the story and we're starting to get a little more interpersonal relationships with people. And I really enjoyed that rather than, because the first episode was very much an introduction of here's how the story feels. I really liked this one because I feel like Bonnet got to show a little bit more of his metal. I was a little worried that he was going to be. This is going to. Okay. Coward. Judgy. But I was worried he was going to be traumatized for too long, quote unquote. Not that there is a time <laughs> limit on being traumatized. There definitely is not. But I liked that he started to find his strength in this episode. I thought that mm-hmm. was really great to see someone start to overcome yeah. something that had happened to him. So second episodes are really hard. Like part two of a trilogy is hard. Mm -hmm. And I think the show did a really good job of episode one introduces us to all the characters. Episode two is very much what do these characters do on a normal day? Mm -hmm. Or in fact, what do these characters do on a day off? (laughs) So this was a, you know, just a, a character study episode. But like you said, it also moved forward our main character's story yeah of uh steed bonnet so let's start through at the beginning and talk through the episode they start it with is, a story they start with a story and i actually wanted to point something out about this so okay. when the show starts it's steed bonnet reading stories to the crew at night mm-hmm. 
And now we're at the point where even though they can't read, the pirates are now telling each other, telling the rest of the crew stories at night. So this has become enough of a tradition that the other members of the crew are like excited to participate and like bringing stuff Take forward. Heart, I love it. Mm -hmm. And so we start on a French ship. And like I told you earlier, because you asked at one point when we saw spoilers, Blackbeard ship at the end of the episode, you're like, isn't that the same boat? It is. So they've built one boat set, but they'll do set dressings or like add extra textures or colors to make this one boat play multiple different ones. Okay. Finally, the entire world will have access to good bread. <laughs> I love that. Well, I also found it interesting that, um, so the story is being told by Black Pete, mm -hmm. and he is telling the story of Blackbeard coming in and taking over this French ship. Mm -hmm. And it starts off very, I almost expected, uh, what's that, that song? Da, 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 Claire de da, no, da, La Vie en Rose? Yeah, <laughs> because the lighting is so pretty, and they're just like, we are here to bring bread to the people. Then Blackbeard's ship just comes and just like destroys everything, and there's very obviously fake blood gushing everywhere, and yeah. it's it's very uh, exaggerated. It made sense that it was a story being told by someone else, and so yeah. it had a very fairy not fairy tale, but fantasy feel to it a little bit. But like it, it feels more like a play than a reality. You know, it's like mm -hmm. clearly these characters are playing parts and stuff. The camera zooms in hard on Blackbeard's flag. Can you describe it to me? It's a, okay, let me find the picture, but from what I, it's a skeleton with a cup and it looks like horns. It looks like a horned devil skeleton. Mm -hmm. And it is holding a spear. This is very close to the flag that's traditionally known as Blackbeard's. Listen, here's the whole point about the age of piracy. The information we have is not fact checked, like information from the time, because such huge stories were told about the big names on the sea. But this particular flag is missing a portion of the flag traditionally attributed to Blackbeard. And when we get to the end of the episode, so don't do it yet. Okay. When we get to the end of the episode, I'm going to have you look up Blackbeard's flag um, and see if you can spot the difference. But Black Pete is the one telling us this story. I was going to say, most of the crew is bored almost to tears. Steed is eating it. Uh, enraptured like leaning forward to get it better like to hear it better mm -hmm. and so he's like what happened next tell me about blackbeard like he's very interested in blackbeard and i don't know if it's because he thinks that blackbeard is like the ideal pirate or whatever but black pete really like builds this character up to the point that his head is made of smoke and he has glowing eyes and Steed's like, how does that work? Like, he's just very intrigued. So as someone who was obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean when I was 13 mm -hmm. and watched all the behind the scenes features on the DVD, here's something I learned about the legend of Blackbeard. Do you remember the character in Pirates of the Caribbean who had a bunch of smoke in his beard? Yes. 
So that was based on a story people used to tell about Blackbeard, that he would tie fuses in his beard and light them when he was about to attack people to give himself the image of a head made out of smoke. So the story Black Pete is telling is actually based on real stories people told of Blackbeard, that he was a very theatrical guy and would use tricks like these to frighten and scare his enemies. Mm -hmm. And... I would like to posit something about this story. I think the the visuals we're seeing of the Frenchman and the, of Blackbeard, I think this is exactly what Steed is imagining. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're seeing Black Pete's point of view. I think we're seeing oh. Steed's point of view. And so how you mentioned, does he think Blackbeard is the ideal pirate? Remember how that's the theme that we're talking about through this whole show? I do. That this is the image of Blackbeard that's in the current popular belief of Steed's time. Nice. Nice. But he comes in with no mercy. I mean, he's just killing Mm -hmm. everyone. And, okay, so I'm interested that if Steed thinks he is the ideal pirate, how is Steed going to become this pirate because we find out as the time goes on he is really freaking out over killing mm-hmm. the english captain even though multiple times people have said it you were you basically, didn't kill him actually. you were there when he died but killing him that's a little strong so i just wondered how he's gonna jump from a to z you know and it's interesting that one of the times he talks about this this is a little later in the episode but when he's walking in the forest with pete and Oluwande, um He's asking Pete, how does Blackbeard deal with killing so many people? Mm-hmm. And so Emily Steed is also asking himself that question. How am I going to yeah. be the ideal pirate if I can't kill without mercy? I have to be what everyone says a pirate is. Mm-hmm. The pinnacle of Black Pete's story is that he saves Blackbeard's life. And that Blackbeard tells him from this day onward. You'll be known as the Dread Black Pete. And Steed is like, that's so amazing. Wow, imagine that. <laughs> He's so excited. The real Blackbeard only sailed for like three years. It was it was hardly any time at all, but he gained such a huge reputation that he's this near mythical figure like still today. And... The historical inspiration, I'm not going to say basis, the historical inspiration for this show is that for a significant period of time, the real-life Blackbeard actually sailed with the real-life gentleman pirate, Steed Bonnet. (laughs) That's amazing! Mm -hmm. That's amazing! I think it's really fun. Oh, I'm so excited to keep going with with this story. Oh my gosh, I can't remember who did this Tumblr post. I will try and find it, but it's very clear that a ton of research went into this show and they just cherry picked, this will be good storytelling. This will be fun storytelling. It'll be funny if we move this here. So like, it's fun to see these moments like, yeah, the real Steed Bonnet actually paid his crew a salary. And the, I'm trying to think of another example from this episode, but um, there's stuff, there's just stuff later on. So whenever we have a, should we start doing a bit? Where I'm like historical fact or fiction, and then you try and guess what element of the show was true this week. Yes, yes, okay. that would be great. We'll 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 start that historical fact or fiction. Okay. So as everyone's fighting about the veracity of Black Pete's story, 
Buttons chimes in. And then Olu is like, if Buttons is here, who's steering the ship? And then everybody shakes because during story time, their ship has run aground. And that's our cold open. Um, but we get the title card, our flag means death. And Megan, now that you've told me it's all practical effects, I actually got really mad about this one. Because <laughs> they had to hurry and put the seaweed down before the water came in. So it's it's on the beach and they've written out in leaves and sticks and everything, our flag means death in a very beautiful font. But then the ocean comes and washes it away. And I'm like, all that hard work. I don't know. I was just like, no, it got ruined. So that next morning, the ship is very, very, very stuck. Like, it's not just kind of like a little bit on the beach. It's like up on the beach. And Steve Bonnet is there standing. This The ship with its gross barnacles and seaweed growing on the bottom of it. He's there in his pristine white lace shirt, just like, pushing against it. He's like, did I do it? Did it move? And they're like, no. Did I do it right? <laughs> didn't. <laughs> you mentioned barnacles. I would like to jump in with a pirate fact I know. I'm ready. Emily, yes. do you know what keel, do you know what keel hauling is? No, but I know it's really bad because in one of the books in my writer's group, we're about to get to a <laughs> keel haul scene and everyone keeps talking about how terrible it's going to be and I'm so afraid to read it. Can I warn you what it is? Does it happen so, in the show? It doesn't happen in the show. Okay. It's mentioned okay. in the show, but it doesn't happen in the show. Okay. So the reason why I know this is I had the very coolest eighth grade history teacher of all time. And there was a day we had to get a permission slip from our parents for the class lecture that day. And if your parents didn't want to sign off on it, you got to go to the library and have a reading day. But we had a special lecture on the history of torture and we talked about torture from all around the world Ah. and there were historical illustrations and it was so graphic and i'm like this is the best class (laughs) i was gonna say a day in the library sounds wonderful (laughs) yeah so this is the day i learned what keel hauling is and it was a a typical punishment for not typical but it was one of the punishments for being on a ship And if you break the ship's rules, this is one of the consequences. They tie a rope to your hands. They tie a rope to your legs. They throw you off the front of the ship. And then the people holding the ropes with you on it walk to the back of the ship and then pull you back up. So you're dragged underneath the length of the ship. And so you're cut by all the barnacles, all the wood, if you can't hold your breath, too bad. And if you survived the keel hauling, that was that. But you didn't always survive a keel hauling. Oh, no. And I mean, and it's in salt water, so yikes. And it's it's called that because the shell of a bolt is referred to as the keel. So there you go. Now, the more you know. (laughs) I was a very history obsessed child you know so like greek oh my my particular favorites were greek history egyptian history and pirates those were the things i really liked to study why don't you write a book about it (laughs) maybe i will okay listen let's be specific i liked greek mythology i liked the process of mummification and pyramids (laughs) and i liked pirate torture 
Okay, don't write a book about that. <laughs> do you know what? I'll do what I want. Okay. Buttons is very eager that he gets to eat the crew. Yeah, because they're stuck. Yeah. Here's the here's the funny thing is I'm just like, oh, you're on land. You're saved. And they're like, nope, we got to eat everybody. This is terrible. And I'm going, oh, because they feel more at home on the sea. Whereas I would have been like, great, we're off the boat. <laughs> Not until it's absolutely necessary. It won't be necessary. No. Not until it's absolutely necessary. (laughs) So Steed has declared, uh, oh, sorry. Actually, he's still there trying to push the the boat off. And the, okay, what's what's the guy's name that they got the sword through the face? Nigel Badminton. Okay. He keeps showing up. As a hallucination or whatever, Steed's imagination, whatever. And he keeps showing up and insulting him. Yeah. To the point that Steed starts interacting with this figure. Mm -hmm. You know, he is feeling so terribly about this. And I just hate that he feels so alone in this. Because I think everyone else on the ship understands what it's like to murder someone. But they don't understand how he feels about it. Yes, Megan. Because, and now I'm going to make a gross generalization about the crew. I think if any of them have murdered before, it's been for survival. Like, I bet everyone's first murder was to save their own life. I have, listen, you guys, I have no proof of this. (laughs) But it's, again, talking about the fairy tale world of being on Steed's boat versus the reality of... Basically, the the pillaging of the the Caribbean. You know, we've we've seen the French, we've seen the English. Every single European country was killing uh, the indigenous people and taking land to grow things in the New World, uh, quote unquote New World. So, all right, here we go. Now we're going to talk about piracy <laughs> and how it happened. Okay, so Emily, do you remember in school where they would just tell us about the triangle trade? Does that phrase sound familiar? I didn't go to the same school you went to. You didn't go to at all? I did. Oh, sorry, bleeped out the name of my own junior <laughs> high there. Forget that. Wait, you did the you did the first year of high school twice. Why do I think you did the first year I of high school? I didn't do the twice? first year of high school twice. I did not repeat a grade. No, I mean like sorry. Tangent of our tangent. We grew up most of the way in Louisiana and then we moved to Utah and I thought you did. And and so how they divided the grades in schools was different. So did you do ninth grade and then 10th grade when we came to Utah? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So in Louisiana, high school started. Sorry. This isn't, this isn't as much of a tangent as it needs to be. Basically, I never went to the elementary school you went to. Well, you went to the junior high I went to. I did, but I don't know how, because I don't remember the torture days, but I must have had the same teacher. because You had Miss P? Oh, no, I did not. That's why. That's why. That's why. Okay. That's why. Plus, torture torture day was eighth grade, and you did ninth grade. I did seventh, eighth, and ninth. (laughs) We can cut this whole thing. No, no. Listen, I remember now, Lauren started in elementary school with me, and then you started in junior high. Yeah, yeah. But so I had to you be did the youngest year of junior two high. Two years class. in a row. Yes. Yes, I had to be the because youngest two years in a row. Sixth grade started junior high in Louisiana, and seventh grade started junior high in Utah. All right. Listen, I it think our audience would be interested. 
I think our audience would be interested to know our history <laughs> and stuff about us. So anyway, the triangle trade was a result of the uh, transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. And it was agricultural goods were created in, were grown in the Caribbean and shipped to Europe for sale and distribution. And then people from Europe would capture people from Africa and enslave them and take them to the Caribbean in order to work on, like the Caribbean and the New Americas, in order to trap them on plantations and to work there. And that was known as the Triangle Trade. And so you would have established sea lanes going from between these three destinations. And because there really was no way to police the water, that's how piracy really got its start. Because even though there are no roads in the water, there were these established trade routes that pirates could sail along as well in order to capture whatever goods or people were being traded on any ship and they would take whatever goods were on the ship and sail them themselves. And we see a lesser extent of that here when the crew from the Revenge capture the English hostages with plans to sell them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. There were two kinds of pirates. There was like free-for-all pirates, which is kind of what Steed and his crew are. And then there's a special type of pirate called a privateer. And those are pirates that are loyal to a specific government, like the French or the English or the Spanish. And the privateers specialized in only attacking ships from other countries. And so a privateer would be in the service of King George. And one of the ways that ships would avoid privateers is they would have flags of every country. So if they spotted a privateer vessel, if they could tell what nation that privateer vessel was from, they'd try and run up the correct flag <laughs> because an English privateer wouldn't attack an English ship. Got it. There you go. There's some, there's some facts. As much as we're here to enjoy this goofy pirate story. The real history is incredibly sad and tragic and horrible, which again feeds into this feel of, do you know what? On Steed's boat, don't worry about this part of history. This part is not important. Mm -hmm. And then when we meet, like we were saying in our last episode, when we meet other ships, a lot of them reintroduce kind of the harsh reality of what this life on the sea actually means and so in episode sorry i know i've been talking about this for a bit so in episode one when olu says that he doesn't have much of a choice or that a lot of the a lot of the men on the ship don't have a choice if you weren't a pirate you would you would have to abide by the laws of society and for a lot of the people on steed's ship that's a really option there you go that is my tangent on the history of piracy and again one of the things about this show that's really fun is there's almost like this bubble on steed ship that's like hey Mm -hmm. that's not the story we're telling it's not that kind of story he also has a bubble around him when it comes to reality that is true he tells the the guys he tells his crew hey you get a day off and they keep asking clarifying questions of (laughs) what does this mean and he's like oh it's a time where you get to rest your bodies and you just get to do whatever you want they're like can we torture people he's like no that's not 
that's that's not what a vacation is like he's he's giving them a vacation and these guys from what i'm thinking they have survived their whole or they have when you work at sea in order to survive you have to be working all the time you Mm -hmm. always have to make sure the ship is sailing correctly you've got to make sure you have the right supplies you've got to make sure i mean there's a hundred different things you have to you have to check and the idea of not doing anything or doing things specifically, like he says, a hobby that yeah. makes you happy. They're just like, what are you talking about? So he's extending basically the new life that he's teaching. He's teaching his lads about. So Roach yeah. wants his vacation to be torturing the hostages. And he says my favorite line of the episode, which is, I'll just take them to the brink of death. I won't go all the way. <laughs> Roche and I went to the same junior high. <laughs> he knows all about torture. Oh, <laughs> it's like really. There's there's a little bit of a running, a running bit through the episode that uh, Steed keeps asking Black Pete what Blackbeard would do. Mm-hmm. We're we're again building up this legend, airing up this legend of Blackbeard, but. It's declared that we can't torture the hostages for vacation. But they need to be taken on a walk. Yep. (laughs) So in a good, I think, follow-up to the episode one scene with Olu and Jim in the captain's quarters, I think Steed, he tries to talk it through with them again, and I think he listens a little better to them this time. Yeah. I love the prosthetic on the ghost of badminton. (laughs) I the sword in the eye is so good and so goofy because yeah he's got the sword handle protruding from his eye and the still bloody blade coming out the back of his head how do you stabilize something like that i was thinking that because i'm like maybe they had to like cgi i don't know if he had like a like a headband tying it in place or something but it is i mean it's or maybe they super glued it i don't know it was prosthetic glue but and it, it doesn't wobble about it just Stuck in his eye. <laughs> David Jenkins, when you come on our podcast, we'd love to know. Or <laughs> or anyone who was on the makeup and props department, because art department, you did a fantastic job. And also, I think yeah. Emily would like to personally congratulate you on the seaweed sign. <laughs> I would. You guys did amazing. And it, it just got lost to time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to highlight a special moment when he's talking with Olu and Jim, because we were talking about flashbacks in our in our episode one. So when Olu says, when you kill, you die as well. And then Steed has two memories right in a row. Emily, do you remember what they are? One is the guy dying and uh-huh. the other is the goose or the yeah. duck, whatever, being killed in front of him. It's it's clear that Steed is connecting this death to the death he was encouraged to participate in as a child. Man, the old, ye olden days were rough especially for a 16 year old (laughs) have you okay do you remember the line from the movie what we do in the shadows when we're meeting one of the vampires and he's like yes i was turned into an immortal and so i always look 16 and he's played by a full-grown man and he's like of course life in those days was tough for 16 years old (laughs) do remember that we meet a character in this episode and it's a little further on but we oh no i don't know if they say his name never mind we'll wait okay i have i have a fun historical fact about one of the people we meet in this episode um but you should know the the fandom keeps 
editing him with that life was tough for 16 year old (laughs) (laughs) what has happened is is everyone is going about and having their own vacation uh roach bless his heart is like well i can't torture the captive so apparently i have to be nice to them and he takes them on a walk and later comes back and we realize they've tricked him and they've run away into the jungle and so steed takes olu and black pete to go find them Mm-hmm. But it shows kind of, not a montage, but it shows what the other crew were doing during their vacation and time <laughs> off. And the actor that plays Hodor, what is his, what is his character's name? We John. We John. He is just blowing stuff up with gunpowder and it's like Christmas for him. And he is having a really good time. And I just, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. That we got to see them having joy, not just like... Yeah sitting and waiting for the time to pass he took the captain's order suggestion and is doing things that bring him happiness i don't know if you remember in the first episode but when they were talking about mutiny he's like i'm in if we get to set captain on fire and then when they're like okay we're gonna take this enemy ship he's like will we get to set it on fire so he has an affinity for flame and smoke and things that go boom (laughs) Buttons is naming a thousand different sea creatures that he knows, apparently. (laughs) What is something, Emily, what is something you could name a thousand of? Songs. I bet I could do a thousand songs. Mm -hmm. Nice. But that would also include, like, album, like, song by song by song. Not a thousand albums. I could name you a thousand songs, but I bet I could name a thousand animated characters. Oh, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. I mean, we start off with seven whole dwarves, so that puts me at (laughs) 0.7% of the way there. (laughs) So Olu, Black Pete, and the captain, Captain Steed, are going through the jungle. And it's at this point that they're conversing more about Blackbeard. And, And again... I like this very early because Emily, we haven't seen Blackbeard yet. It's episode two and we haven't even seen his face yet. I mean, you know, besides the smoke one, Um, but we're, we're building the legend and the, uh, the thing that Black Pete is saying is that, oh yeah, no, he doesn't care. He kills man, woman, or child. He just gets on with it. And Steed like, he he kills children. Appalled. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking if, if Steed's trying to be the ideal pirate, that's going to be a huge, like, who kills kids? You know? And then he's like, well, only the really bad ones. He's not a monster. <laughs> the opposite of Santa Claus. <laughs> Olu is challenging Black Pete about the veracity of his story. And as they're arguing, oh no, Annette drops from above and captures them all. And all of the people on the island are played by native or indigenous actors. Yep, yep. And the next thing we see is Black Pete and Steed are in this tiny little, tiny little cage being watched over by by one of the island's natives. And Olu is just walking around free. Yep. And they made him a drink. It's a recognition from the people who live in the Caribbean of the horrible things that the... (laughs) light-skinned folks have done to the people in Africa. So, like, two points of the triangle trade are getting royally f***ed over. And I think there's a there's an element of, hey, you're one of us because of them. Yeah, yeah. 
we do see on the boat, we see that Jim is writing in their journal. So you pointed out Lucius is not the only one on the ship that reads. Yeah, they are talking about revenge. Not was revenge worth it, but basically I'm paying for the revenge that I took. We don't know what revenge this was. I don't know if it was to revenge someone they avenge someone that they knew or to avenge a bad situation but jim is clearly in hiding suffering because it is so hot and gross and they decide to go and take a little swim like mulan you know away from the men and just the way that everything is set up on the rock with like the clothes laid out the beard the nose and the hat it's just funny to me Ugh, I want to go to the ocean. Maybe I'll go to the ocean. I live close to an ocean now. I could just do that. You live close. I think one of my favorite bits is when Olu's like, oh yeah, you guys are going to be put on trial, but I'm sure it's just a formality. And the guard just kind of shakes his head like, no, no. It's a real thing. (laughs) Uh, It's time to be who I like to call Blackbeard's boy band. (laughs) (laughs) So these three dudes. They're in like this. These grungy, almost like a rock star yeah. leather outfit sort of a thing. Very tough. Uh, one of the, so the, the actor with the white beard, his character's name is Fang. And he's literally wearing a Hot Topic studded belt around his head. <laughs> uh, and then Ivan has his dreads like all flipped over one side of his face like a dramatic Ivan boy. was so cool. <laughs> and then we meet, played by Con O'Neill. This third pirate. I can't remember if they say his name or not. Should I just tell you what his name is? Sure. It goes by Izzy. Izzy Hands. Okay. I don't... They might have said it at one point, but yeah. Okay. And I love Con O'Neill's voice because you don't expect it to have the tenor timber that it has. And it's... It's so raspy and it's so sexy. And Con O'Neill, I love your voice. Does he sing it all? Man, I hope so. I haven't. I haven't looked. Uh, Do you know how many actors I have recently discovered can sing? At least two. Jeremy Renner. You already knew that. You tried to make me listen. No, no, to okay, his when stuff. I say recently, I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> I didn't grow up knowing that they could sing, sort of a thing. Jeremy Renner. Oh my gosh! Every time I listen to his his music, I'm just like, oh, I gotta do that again. <laughs> Jeremy Renner, Andrew Garfield learned how to sing for Tick, Tick, Boom and did amazing. Ben Barnes, Be Still ben My Barnes. Heart, sings. <laughs> Ter- okay, I'm going to get the name wrong. Taryn, hold on, let me get the right name. Okay, Taryn Egerton. Also oh, he's, he's in Sing. He plays the gorilla, Johnny. He plays the gorilla, yeah. Oh, a man that can sing does it for me. Just, that's all. <laughs> Great news, Con O'Neill sings. He was in a film in the 70s called Dancing in the Dark or Dancing Through the Dark. And he sang several songs because apparently this movie was about rock stars. So there you go, everyone. Look that up. He's got a voice. Unfortunately, this confirms for you he doesn't sing in this show. So I'm sorry. If Chris Evans ever learns how to sing, he plays the piano. That about did me. And if Chris Evans, <laughs> if Chris Evans ever comes out and says he can sing, I'm 
finished. I'm done for. Nice. So Izzy, Ivan, and Fang have interest in the British hostages because they're like, we could sell them. You know, we could yeah. we could ransom them. We can get money from that for that. Yeah. Meanwhile, back on the beach, Lucius is walking around, and Lucius makes a discovery. Yes, he finds Jim's clothing laid out. And I would think his first assumption would be someone had killed Jim and cut off their nose because it is just sitting on the rock. Yeah. And he looks down and sees them swimming in the ocean. Jim turns around, sees Lucius watching them. And that's the start of a not great a not Some beautiful plot. friendship. Oh, uh, could you imagine how gross it would be just cutting off someone's nose? Oh, yeah. That's No, why did you make me think about that? Oh, no reason. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, we cut to the trial. The not a formality trial. Also, Sebastian Stan, if Sebastian Stan learned how to sing, that would also do me in. I'm just yeah, going to keep naming names. <laughs> you guys, Emily watches non-Marvel movies too, I promise. Just most of her favorite actors are in Marvel projects. They are. They are. Oh, uh, did you, they... would you like to tell everyone about the mean thing I did to you this week? <gasps> yes! Ooh! And she is torturing me. A little because bit. Because I got my early ticket access to Doctor Strange. For next week, she's going to see Doctor Strange a week early this week. Boo! Boo! I get to see a for work. I'm pretty excited. Boo! I... And she won't even take me with her. I offered. You You never did! I said, I said, do you want to fly out from you Utah? You did not! You, said I... you did not! I'm pulling up our Google chat because I thought... <laughs> Would you have taken me up on it? Yes! Maybe I just assumed you couldn't be here on a Wednesday. That's true. I probably couldn't, but ugh. Sorry. I'll wait my turn. If it was like Endgame or something like that, I 100% uh-huh. sure would fly out. But um, So tangent while Megan's looking this up. Spoilers for Infinity War. I just want to put that out there in case you guys, in case people haven't seen it yet, just or are planning to. The ending of... <sighs> What? I am so sorry. You guys, I'm going to read you the chat. Here's what I sent you. Haha, guess who's going to an advanced screening of Doctor Strange on Wednesday? Emily, you don't even like Marvel movies. Me. (laughs) But I like Wanda. Ha ha ha. So I'm going to the El Capitan Theater. Emily, ugh. Meg, sorry, babes. You can complain about it on our podcast. (laughs) Emily, you're the worst. (laughs) I am so... Listen, next time, I'll offer. Okay. I I apologize for not offering. I think I just assumed you couldn't just fly out this Wednesday. I would, though. (sighs) But I can't. I just... I really wanted to ask the person I'm taking... (laughs) That's you know what? No, you know what? I already have a ticket for it. I'm going to see it. I waiting okay. a week. I can do that. Okay. So, um, but I don't know why I started telling this story. But Infinity War spoilers. Everybody, you know, people get dusted at the end, and 
I went and saw it the night it came out because that's just, I don't like spoilers. I like to go and experience things as, you know, it happens. And so I was afraid that I would get spoiled into what happened. So my friends had already made plans to go see it like the night before a big wedding. Everybody was in town, but that was a week away. So I went and saw it a week early and didn't tell people that it was a real bummer of a movie. Because <laughs> it ends it ends sadly. Not that the movie was bad. But it's like the night before their wedding. And we go to see the show. And I have to pretend like I've never seen it. And that I don't know people are going to be sad at the end of the movie. It was not a great way to start off a wedding weekend. <laughs> Anyways. Marvel's nice. tangent over. Nice. And we're up to the trial. The natives are talking about, you guys are really causing a problem because you're killing us. Like, they're laying out and how bad it is. Uh, so the chief is played by uh, Gary Farmer, who's who's been in, like, tons of stuff, uh, including a very fun show on, I think, Apple called, no, on Peacock TV called Rutherford Falls uh, that y'all should check out. Fun comedy show. As they're going through saying, hey, your people have already wiped us out like multiple times. And the it, it boils down to of like, have you killed anyone lately? And the English hostages are like, yes, he has killed someone. He's a madman. And then Steve starts to go into a breakdown where he's like, I'm a murderer! Which he had a hard time saying when he was talking with Jim and Olu earlier. And... He's just like screaming and the the ghost of the ghost of Nigel Badminton is like in front of him on all fours being like, I probably have children bought it. Maybe even several. Who knows? I Okay, the actor for Badminton cracks me up. <laughs> it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him out by name. Rory Kinnear. Hilarious. Every Every acting choice he makes in this series, solid gold. <laughs> uh, so the 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 case goes on a break. The case goes on a break and it cuts to the chief and Olu talking. And the chief's like, okay, so he didn't actually kill anyone. And Olu's <laughs> like, no. Uh, Steed is lying in the lap of another another person from the tribe telling them about his troubles. That he... And he accepts that he didn't really kill him. Um, but he he also says, my crew was under attack. Like, it was a very stressful time. And the, the tribe member kind of helps him put together the pieces of, like, maybe you're, maybe this was just a way to realize you were, you're really feeling guilt about something else. And Steed, we go back and, and, and it's the night that he's saying goodbye to his kids. His kids are sleeping and he's, says goodbye to them and sneaks out of the house and we realize he feels very guilty about leaving his kids behind yeah and he just like you said he sneaks out of the house he just leaves in the middle of the night yeah like a thief in the night but then he asks okay then this ghost the guy's like ghosts aren't real <laughs> it's not a ghost ghosts aren't real he says okay then why does he keep insulting me and the elder asks do you feel inadequate in some way <laughs> and 
we know that Steed feels like he doesn't measure up as a pirate. Yeah. He wishes he were a better pirate than he was. The chief announces that, okay, do you know what? You're not a threat to us. You're just a threat to yourself because you're mediocre (laughs) pirates. And we're going to let you go. And Steed is like, okay, great. We'll take our hostages. We'll leave. But Emily, what's the problem? The problem is they've already sold them. They're gone. The the tribe has sold them because apparently they're very valuable. And uh, this is a moment where Steed gets to, I say grow a backbone. I think he just kind of discovers what he's really capable of. Because, yeah. I don't know, it's a fun, it's not like a big moment that's not like, orchestral arrangements and like you know the the sun coming up and and the the riders of rohan like coming down to save everybody like it's not that moment but it is a very big moment for steed because he's like we are gonna get them back let's do it let's go like he gets Mm -hmm. some self-confidence here and i really like he he takes the next step on his character journey Mm -hmm. i suppose of the moment where black pete's like don't ask what Blackbeard would do. You're not up for it. <laughs> um, but they end up confronting. They end up confronting the other pirates who've come in. And it's fun because at, at the end of the scene where he's talking with Olu and Black Pete, uh, and he's seeing the flashbacks of Badminton, and he's seeing the flashbacks of his dad saying he's pathetic and he's a lily livered boy. Uh he sort of stands up for himself and says, I am adequate. Yes. Uh, because the elder asked if he feels inadequate in some way, and Steed does, and, and so he... <sighs> okay, this is jumping back on in the first episode we were talking about how he's, like, trying to help his crew through their trauma, and he's kind of ignoring his own. He's like, <sighs> I'm not traumatized. Everyone grew up like this. Um... <laughs> But this is like the moment where he sort of confronts his past for the first time and says, do you know what? No. I am adequate. Before we get to the scene in the woods, we get to Jim hunting Lucius down on the beach. Yes. And Lucius is very like, I didn't see anything. I saw nothing. It's very important. You know how much I didn't see. Because he definitely (laughs) has discovered Jim's secret identity. <laughs> oh, Jim pins him down with a knife to his throat, and he's like, "Wait, no, I'm incredible at keeping secrets. My mom thought I liked girls for years." And I'm just going, "How, Jim? How are you going to play this off if you kill Lucius, who is? I mean, everyone on the crew is important. Okay, I'm not yeah, putting yeah. one person above the, but he is the scribe. He is stuck next to Steve Bonnet day after day." Steed is going to realize if his secretary is missing. I don't know what Jim is thinking here. If you know. if they are just so caught up in, I have to keep my secret or I don't know. I, I They're not thinking this through. And I'm just going, you can blackmail this dude. You, you know, blackmail Lucius. Do something like resorting to kill. Maybe, maybe Jim is just trying to strike the fear of God into Lucius. I don't know, but it's working. Whatever, Uh, whatever's uh, happening, it's working. I think Jim definitely wants to kill him, but, (laughs) uh, it's like they said, the best secret keeper is a corpse. And yeah, we know that there's a price on Jim's head and they're being hunted for something. Mm -hmm. Remember what I said earlier about 
a lot of the crew have probably killed in self-defense before. That's oh. true. That's true. Hmm. Lucius, like, okay, so you said in the first episode uh-huh. that you thought he was the villain. So yeah, this episode ends on a bit of a cliffhanger where where Jim confronts Lucius in the ship and drags him off. So I'm oh yeah, I'm, Lucius is dead. I should make that clear right now. <laughs> We don't know if he'll survive or not after this episode. He's probably dead, though. <laughs> but I'm just going, story-wise, I love this. I mm-hmm. love this. The idea of being in such close quarters. Who can you trust, really? And who can you trust to, you know, not use you for their own purposes when it suits them? Like, mm-hmm. I love this as a storytelling plot of just, it's such a small I mean, it's a small ship. Like, you cannot get away from people on a ship that small in the middle of the ocean. So I'm very intrigued to find out what happens between Jim and Lucius. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, what's Steed going to do when he realizes his stenographer is missing? Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is now a question I'm asking you. Lucius doesn't show up for work tomorrow. What is Steed going to do about it? Oh, because if they search the whole ship and don't find him... I think he would assume that it was an accident that he fell off during the night or he went overboard or something and uh-huh. turned the ship around to go look for him. Like, I, I think yeah. that he would not immediately jump to a crewmate murdered their crewmate. Right. Maybe a crewmate pushed him overboard. I'm sure all the pirates would be like, yeah, he's super annoying. Of course he's dead. Of course one of us killed him. Yeah. You know? So. Um, I like that thought about because now I'm trying to imagine how hard it would be to turn a whole ship around to go look for someone. Because they're wind-driven. Ships only go wind way. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, obviously they have enough uh, enough sets of sails that you can't just go one way. That you can manipulate how you're being pushed and steer and everything. But, yeah. So, so you heard it here first, everyone. Lucius goes overboard and there's no proof That's- if he's alive or dead. <laughs> He's probably dead, though. (laughs) So, Olu, Black Pete, and Steed are in the woods looking at Blackbeard's boy band with the hostages. And uh, Steed actually does come up with a pretty theatrical plan. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. It takes a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, They pretend to be the ghost of the forest. It's an then, island, not a forest. I was going to say that Ivan's just like, excuse me. And Ivan gets his nose broken for his trouble. I felt so bad for the guy. Because a rock just comes sailing out of nowhere and just like. Before the rock comes out of the forest, Steed jumps out with a tiny dagger. The jungle. The jungle. Not the forest. You're correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steed jumps out with like the tiniest dagger. And Izzy comes up to him and just shreds the front of his shirt with his sword. Mm -hmm. And so I like that both of them are posturing here because Izzy could have just run him through and killed him. And I think he wanted to show off a bit first because Mm -hmm. Izzy is a very skilled swordsman. But because of the surprise attack, um, if this was D&D, Steed would have scored a nat 20 on his intimidation (laughs) roll. Because of the rock from the forest, Black Pete swings in on a vine a lot like he swung in on a rope in his story at the beginning. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. They end up. <laughs> so 
I'm looking at Reese's incredible face as he's like, as he's like, it's not haunted. And Steve's like, what is it? It's not. What is it? <laughs> like I said, I think Steed ends up intimidating Izzy in this scene. Because he makes them think that they are surrounded. Mm-hmm. And Steed gets up in his personal space with a dagger pushed up against Izzy's face. And is just like, I mean business. And you underestimated me. I think Izzy is embarrassed about that, too. Yeah. I've already ruined one man's head this week. And believe me, I'll do it again. <laughs> the hostage is like, yes, he's quite mad. <laughs> I love that he gets back up from them. Mm-hmm. So they end on a compromise. Emily, what is the compromise they come to? They, okay, they only take one of the hostages with them. And I'm like, no, you're there to rescue both of them. Like, that sucks. (laughs) They aren't going to, they're, listen, uh, these hostages are, in the world of this universe, bad guys. They are actual bad, villainous guys. (laughs) i have so much dust from the renaissance fair up my nose just now and i thought i was gonna have a really good sneeze and then nothing happened and i'm actually super disappointed this is a tragedy this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me we write podcasts, not tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say when Steed does pull his dagger away from Izzy's face, there's mm-hmm. an actual dent in Con O'Neill's face from where <laughs> the, the knife was, was being pushed. And then there's a great moment where Izzy says, you know, this isn't over. And Steed says, good, because I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting more confidence. It was fun to see that... He's like, oh, my plan worked. Ooh, oh, I can't do this. Yes. You know, and and I mm-hmm. could see that confidence build in him. And he didn't have to kill anybody either. So I think yeah, that's a win-win in his, in his book. Izzy does introduce himself in this moment because Steed says, you know, Steed Bonnet, pirate captain. And then he says, Izzy hands, but he doesn't elaborate. So Emily, before we find out, because we find out at the end of the episode that these are Blackbeard's men. Mm-hmm. Who did you think this menacing trio of men were i thought it was another pirate ship and that they were Mm -hmm. going to become rivals or there's still time there's still time yeah i i thought izzy was a captain right but turns out he is i'm assuming either blackbeard's first mate or right hand man but that's what pete said he was in the beginning mm-hmm. so what happened there uh i like the idea of it's a parallel where pete tells this story and everyone's like you're not blackbeard's right hand man it's not you obviously it's not you and this episode serves as an introduction to blackbeard's right hand izzy hands actual hand yeah yeah all right uh I'm going to ask you. Okay, so there was a historical pirate named Izzy Hands who did sail with Blackbeard. And so now I'm going to ask you, I think you can pick up from context clues. How old was the real Izzy Hands when he sailed with Blackbeard? Context clues from our podcast. Not from the episode, from our podcast. 
Life was very tough for a... For a young 16... <gasps> was he 16? <gasps> so the, the real Izzy Hands was 16 when Blackbeard was in his early 30s. Again, historical... I almost want to call this a historical fantasy instead of a historical fiction. Anyway, <laughs> it's all made up and the truth doesn't matter. But my second question is, do you know what Izzy, what name Izzy is a nickname for? I know the female name. Isaac? Nope. Uh, Zachariah? Nope. Oh, then I, I, I don't. Israel. Oh! His name was Israel Hands. What is he Hands? I like that. That's yeah. really great. There you go. But like you said, how you thought this was another pirate ship that they're going to be nemeses with? Kind of. I really don't think Izzy and Steve get along in this episode. Because no. <laughs> I'm thinking, because again, here's the ending of the thing is, is we see the three boy band people on the oh. prow of a ship and... They're talking about, I don't know why the captain wants to meet this other captain. And so you kind of get that turned on, on your head where mm -hmm. you realize, yeah, Izzy's not. It's like one of those things where you meet in like literature or books or movies. You meet uh -huh. someone who's super tough and intimidating. Yeah. And you realize they're not the final boss. Like their boss yeah. is even more tough and intimidating. And I like this layer yeah. introduction, this layered introduction to Blackbeard. So, yeah, the first two episodes... We haven't seen Blackbeard yet, but we're learning about his legend and we're learning about the men who work for him and we're learning about, like, what his life is like and it's just building, too. Emily, when do you think we're going to meet Blackbeard? I think it's episode four because you said that earlier. <laughs> Good job. Way to pick up context, Claire. <laughs> I'm sorry I spoiled it. I'm sorry I ruined it. No, no, I, I think I'd also read, like, people are just like, oh, he doesn't even show up until later. And so I'm glad I knew yeah, that because yeah. I would be like, come on. But even though the character's physical, like, not present, he's still a huge part of the story. So while yeah. Steed is getting his feet underneath him as a pirate captain and figuring out how every pirate captain captains pirates differently, and he figures out how he's going to captain the pirates under his pirate captain command, he's doing it in parallel with what he's learning about Blackbeard. And I find yeah. that interesting. Yeah. Storytelling-wise. Again, coming into his own as they finally get the ship pushed up. Interesting. It takes everyone to do it, not just... <gasps> Not just Steed by his little self pushing the boat, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the elder is talking to Steed as they're preparing to leave. And what does the elder talk to him about? He flat out says not everyone is cut out to be, what did he say, a pirate? Not everyone. Because yeah. he basically, he says, you're more of a gentleman. Like he's telling Steed, this is not the life for you. Just mm -hmm. not even sugarcoating it. He's just like, no, this isn't, this isn't you. And but Steve doesn't seem offended by that. And he also tries to get Olu to stay. Yeah, so the elder is trying to get Olu to stay as well. He's like, you could stay because this guy's going to get you killed. And you realize that the camera kind of pans over to Jim, who's back in their full-on disguise. disguise. And you kind of get the feeling that Olu has something for Jim. He's like, but we're just friends. We're just friends. But we're just friends. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 
But as the ship sails away, I was going to talk about Steed coming into his own as the captain. He's standing there still in his shredded up. See, you managed to get your shirt off. (laughs) And he's standing there kind of surveying, I guess, this, this island as they're sailing away. And the ghost of Badminton? Badminton? Yeah, Badminton. Okay, Badminton. Uh, is on the island running after him shouting like you'll be damned and you're all of these things and you'll never you'll make never it amount to anything and and i'm just going oh no he's still like literally chasing after he's the character is literally chasing after the boat into the ocean and steve's just standing there going what i can't hear you i can't i can't make out what you're saying you know in a, in a very flippant sort of way and i was like oh i really like this because He's mm-hmm. literally letting the past go. He's he's not saying that it didn't matter, but he's kind of accepted that he's kind of accepted what happened to him on his journey, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just liked the the way that they portrayed this this terrible, terrible thing that happened to him and he feels so responsible for it. He finally realizes uh that he's worked his way through it. I just mm-hmm. thought it was he's he's cool. able to let it go. Mm-hmm. And Leave he leaves behind. the guy behind, yeah, yeah, on the island behind where he he learned and became a different person. And I just thought it was very cool. So uh, a common therapeutic technique about, you know, in just ways of, of making people deal with their emotions is physically picturing their emotions as actual people. I can't believe you left your phone on while we're podcasting. No, my phone what it's kind not. It's connected to professional. It's, it's on listen to me. <laughs> it's on silent. It's FaceTime. It connected to my computer automatically. And now our other sister thinks I hate her because I just hung up on her. Oh, she'll be fine. Um, let me text. I'll, I'm listening. Let me text okay, her. Yeah. So uh picturing your anger as someone who hurt you or like picturing a younger version of yourself that you focus on being kind to um picturing your emotions as an image or a person that you can deal with is uh, a really helpful therapeutic tool in helping you walk through things and i like the symbolism of because you know steed admitted to the elder that I don't feel bad about killing this guy. Like, he was awful. And the elder pointed out to him that, okay, but do you feel inadequate in another way? So this ghost of badminton was uh, a figment representing Bonnet's insecurities for being inadequate. And he's literally, he's literally leaving those feelings behind as he's moving forward as a person. Um, I saw I saw a, a meme today or or an Instagram reel, and it talks about it's like someone's pretending to be a psychologist, someone's pretending to be a psychiatrist, and both of them are talking about the the studies that have been done that ignoring your emotions and pushing your emotions down is actually really really unhealthy. And then someone comes through the door, and it's like uneducated influencer about like <laughs> positive vibes only you know just act happy and get through it and blah 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 and I'm just kind of like that's that's the thing that I've struggled with in my life is just you just pretend everything's fine and everything will be fine and that's not really how it is and so Meg I'll just mention briefly 
one of the things my therapist and I do is called IFS, which is internal family assistance. And basically that's what you do Mm -hmm. is you imagine this emotion or this memory as a, as something that you can talk to and interact with and then interact with it in like safely. So if you're having like this emotion or memory that is, it feels like too big to overcome, you like imagine a safe space to like talk to it in and at first I'm like this sounds ridiculous and I feel so stupid doing it (laughs) but like actually sitting there and being like experiencing things and learning what's behind your emotions is so cool and it's very helpful and so yeah I really appreciated this episode of seeing that portrayed as Mm -hmm. you can let things go you don't have to hold on to them forever because it makes you unhappy yeah. and you can you can be happy without pretending to be happy. Mm-hmm. You can actually be happy. Yeah. Thanks for talking about that, Emily. You're awesome. Thank you. I do my best. We now are coming to the close of the episode where Steed decides why can't one be a gentleman and a pirate? Ooh, that mm-hmm. rings. We see Jim capture Lucius, drag him away, probably to throw him overboard where he will never be seen again. <laughs> And then we end with the scene on Blackbeard's ship, which is, this is when you're like, isn't that, isn't that our ship? You told me that in the episode before, but I didn't quite understand what you meant. And it's literally the revenge just gussied up in like spikes. And (laughs) we've got spikes. We've got skulls. We have a black rope ladder instead of a rope-colored rope ladder. And plus the uh, the color grading is very green and dim and smoky. Uh, because I was like, the ship is green. Steed ship is green. What are the chances? What are, What's the odds? And I'm like, oh, it's got to be the yeah. same set. Anyway. Movie we, magic, everybody. We, we pan up to the flag. Uh so this is oh and you wanted me to look yes. it up i want you to look up blackbeard flag historical images don't do anything related to the show okay okay blackbeard flag historical is that it yep image um, look at the image. images tag okay all right can you spot the difference between the flag in this show and the flag results you have there, oh, the spear is stabbing into a heart, right? Yeah. Uh, Did I look at the right one? Okay. Okay, yeah. What does the flag on the show have? It just has the spear, and he's got something in his hand, but there's no heart. There's no heart? There's no heart. Huh. I wonder why they would have left that out. Hey. Ooh. Ooh. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode. I'm going to read you a bit of a paper, uh, sorry, of an article from the Smithsonian Magazine called mm-hmm. The Gentleman Pirate. Okay. So this article was written by Amy Crawford uh, from 2007. And I'm going to read you a little bit from the first paragraph and then a few down. And we will link this in the show notes so you all can read this paper as well. <clears throat> Steed Bonnet's career as the gentleman pirate may represent the worst midlife crisis on record. In 1717, (laughs) which is the year our show takes place in, Bonnet, a retired British Army major with a large sugar plantation in Barbados, abandoned his wife, children, land, and fortune, bought a ship, and turned to piracy on the high seas. 
Though his crew and fellow pirates judged him to be an inept captain, Bonnet's adventures <laughs> earned him the nickname the Gentleman Pirate, and today oh. his legend lingers in the annals of pirate history. I love this. All of that from history is being represented in this show. <laughs> I would be oh sorry, go ahead. Oh no. Um this is a and then this is a clip based on what I was talking to you about earlier. Piracy was a lifestyle, a profession, and a political cause in the early 18th century. Many of the men who turned to piracy off the American coast were escaped slaves and indentured servants or colonists who had failed to make a living on land. During this period, Woodard, who was quoted earlier as Colin Woodard, author of The Republic of Pirates, um, Woodard says, Ordinary people were upset about the growing gap between rich and poor and the growing authoritarian power of the British Empire. Though a hanging offense, unless one bribed officials, piracy was an attractive option for men in desperate circumstance with some knowledge of seafaring and a deep loathing of authority. So, like I said, I'm going to link that Smithsonian Magazine article in the show notes. However, if you aren't caught up on the show, I would recommend not reading it. Because, again, this is not an accurate history uh, like this show is not accurate to history, but there are enough elements used in the storytelling that you kind of owe yourself the fun and surprise of watching the show first and then finding out the rare historical accuracies later. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how that might play out because if Steed is a gentleman, uh -huh. quote unquote, he's grown up in society. What pushed him to become a pirate. The gentleman pirate. The gentleman pirate. I would also be interested in finding out the story of... I'd be interested in finding out the story of how... Who's the, who wrote the, the show? Jack? Oh, David Jenkins. David Jenkins. I'd be interested to know the story of what caught his eye and what inspired him to write this show. Mm -hmm. Was it a love of history? Was it a love of, you know pirates i don't know i'd just be i'd be intrigued vacation one time and just picked up a biography <laughs> of alexander oh wait that's different <laughs> emily yeah. if you could make a show about anyone in history or any moment in history what would it be so this is a new i'm not even gonna say obsession it's just a new beginning of an obsession for me but i would make it about kate warned she was the first female detective in the pinkerton agency what i would watch that yeah i don't know much about her at all like i said this is a new obsession um but i i i love stories about you know the first person to do this or, or you know whatever and and the idea that the first woman detective i just I love detective. I love procedural stories. I love all these things. And so I'm starting to learn more about Kate Warren as a person. And she, okay. So, okay. One of the things that got me interested is that uh, she actually foiled a previous assassination attempt against Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. She, from what I understand, uh, realized that the assassination was in, in motion. They were on a train and she dressed up as a Southern belle and pretended he was her sickly brother. So he's not wearing like his famous 
hat or anything. He was like hunched over with a shawl and they like, he's like riding the train with his assassins and pretending to be somebody else. And she's the one that, that came up with it and was his bodyguard. I don't know if she was his bodyguard, but anyways, that is who I would want to make a movie about or watch a movie about is, is Kate Warren. That's amazing. Thank you. All right. Ask me what historical scene. What historical figure would you either want to make or watch a a show about? I would like to make a movie about history's first fully emancipated duel, where the duelists, the seconds, the doctor on standby, and the referee were all women. Yes. But it would be hard to film this because the women fought shirtless. (laughs) Completely (laughs) topless. And this is because of medical sciences at the time, if you get silk, like if you get stabbed through a shirt and you get threads of silk in your wound, it ups your chances of infection by like a thousand percent. That's not an accurate number. So it was a duel fought in like the late 19th century between an Austrian princess and a countess. Oh, and these women got into a huge argument and decided uh, to demand satisfaction about this. And the the woman who was the doctor, um, she was the one who recommended the topless aspect of the duel. And so all male servants were like barred from the dueling grounds. This was all done, you know, according to the current laws of dueling and. Uh, according to and listen this is why i would make i would make it a fictional funny movie like this because did this even really happen was this an exaggerated story i don't know i hope not but you guys let me tell you more about topless lady dueling so the countess drew first blood in the princess's arm and one of the seconds at the sight of blood screamed and fainted dead away and at the sound of the scream some of the male servants started rushing back because hello scream and the referee started beating them with her umbrella screaming avert your eyes avert your eyes ye lustful wretches banished again and the princess and the countess resumed the duel the princess ends up winning the day emily what were they fighting over well okay i would hope it's not a man Uh i just want to say that Mm, what was it it? the duel was fought over the flower arrangements at an upcoming Vienna musical and theatrical <laughs> exhibition. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that the most amazing story? <laughs> Listen. Yeah. So the we need more of that. The uh the the doc. So the woman with uh the doctor training was a baroness. So it's a princess and a countess fighting under the medical supervision of a baroness. <laughs> so I was yeah. about to say, cause there's, there's a lot at stake there because I mean, if the princess gets hurt mm-hmm. badly enough, I mean, that's going to be like a political thing for anyways. Yeah. Just interesting. So this, this wasn't the very first duel that women ever fought, but it is considered the first fully emancipated duel because it's the first where, all of the positions in the duel were held by women. So yeah, that's what I would make a movie. Hey, 
David cool. Jenkins. <laughs> I have a great idea for your next project. <laughs> All right. This episode has gone on long enough. Thank you for coming with us on our horrible history tour. Uh, <laughs> catch us as we cover season one, episode three, The Gentleman Pirate. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. This is great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for making me watch it. Yep. When we watch the next episode and then talk it through. As a crew. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Catch you on the flippity flop. Oh, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. We love to have you here, and we're having such a fun time doing this show. So again, we have three different feeds that we cover on our podcast. Miscellaneous, which is what you're here listening to now. We are also covering the 1999 Roswell television show. And our next episode for that comes out on Thursday, June 16th. Where we're covering season two, episode two. And then you will hear our very next Our Flag Means Death episode on Tuesday, June the 21st. And then the Thursday after that, we're having a Warbreaker special episode with Emily, I, and friend of the pod, Ted. And then after we finish the Warbreaker special, we're finally diving into Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. And I am very excited. We'd like to give special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, as our intro and outro. And I think that's it for business. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye.